0: And uh, we're going to be teaching in uh, two different passages today. One will be, the first one will be found in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 2. Oh, don't forget planet shakers. Planet shakers. And little fishers. How could I forget? Got a great lesson for you guys back there. God bless them. So find Matthew chapter 2. We're going to be reading from that in just a moment. And then I'm going to be backtracking into Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 9. These are passages that are going to connect together in an important way. And I want to be sure uh, that you find those passages. And you can read along if you did not bring a Bible it will be put on the screen here in just a moment. I was mentioning as we were praying before service. That there is an appropriateness of Jesus, the celebration of Jesus' birthday uh, at the end of the year as it transitions into another year or a new year. Uh, Birth represents change. How many of you know if you have kids that if you have a birth in your house, it changes everything? I I mean, if you think things don't change, obviously you don't have children. Because kids change everything. Everything changes your schedule it changes your priorities it changes Everything every your sleep habits. Amen. I mean, is it not true? Sleep I didn't sleep, you know, we had children Uh, We had three kids and and Kayla came along a little bit later And I thought when will I be able to go to a restaurant and have a good night's sleep? Those were the two major questions of my life Because birth changes everything Uh, birth represents new life newness Uh, Birth represents the future. I often tell parents, especially those that are fearful or concerned about the future, I tell parents all the time, I said, you know, when children come into the the world, this is God's sign to us that he hasn't given up on things yet. That's why kids come along. Because who's to say that child would not have been uh, a God-ordained nation-changer, world-changer? Uh, Birth represents transition. So celebrating Christ's birth here at the end of the year brings about, to me, opportunity for new revelation. You know, Jesus comes into the earth. Everybody, Everybody was expecting the Messiah. There was a sense of the Messiah coming. There was a buzz in the earth in that particular time period with regards to the Messiah. But how many of you know when Jesus came, he didn't come wrapped in the package everybody expected? And so there was new revelation that was being released, a manifestation of the king and the kingdom. And all of these are critical concepts, I think, especially as uh, we're getting from bishops some download with regards to city church. And I'm really excited about the first of the year because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put my toes into some city church things that God's been speaking to me about. And I'm really anxious to kind of hear how all of this is put together together. In fact, we're going to call the series Mosaic. If you don't know what a mosaic is, Google it. I'm sure some of you will even as I'm teaching. But, but God has a mosaic of his church that needs to be expressed in cities in order to do kingdom business. And uh, we're going to answer the question as to what does that mean to you personally and what does that mean to us as a people. Because Jesus did not come to start a religion. Jesus didn't come because He had a denominational startup on His heart. He wasn't here to start an organization. Now, these things aren't necessarily bad. It's not necessarily evil. It doesn't mean they don't have a place. How many of you know that church must have some organization to it? Organization is not an evil word. But Jesus' primary Mission was not somehow he had on his heart. I want to start this great big organization and take a global. But rather he came to reveal and demonstrate a kingdom. And that's the priority of his mission. And the priority of his mission in revealing and demonstrating a kingdom would ultimately be passed off to some disciples and those disciples would pass it off to eventually you and me. And so while there will always be some organization and structure and all of these things have a place, ultimately our primary purpose for being reconciled to God is not just so you and I can have our best life now, it's because He has a kingdom mandate and purpose that He's interested in using us for in the earth. In other words, it's not just about us, it's about Him. And that's really a tough one. Because most of the time we think it's all about us. And the good news is that as we're concerned about what's on his heart, he becomes concerned about what's on our heart. And so it ends up being a good deal. So these things we're going to explore in greater fashion. But this morning I want to share just some things that I think bring some foundation to it. And uh, I've entitled the lesson today, Ruler... troubler which one is he ruler or troubler which one is he I'm here to tell you that the the, the church the church doesn't bother the world but a kingdom does in Matthew chapter 2 we begin to see the first inklings as to the troubling nature of Christ and the gospel he would be bringing. In Matthew 2, I want to read the first three verses, a familiar passage I'm going to come back to and talk about here, but but let's just put it on the table. Matthew 2, verse 1, we read, Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we've seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, and if you have a Bible or maybe if on your technology you have the ability to highlight it, you might want to highlight this. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled. Not everybody's happy with Jesus. And it says that not only was he troubled, but all Jerusalem with him. Now that's interesting. We're going to talk about this in just a moment, but if you have your old school Bible, keep your fingers there, but turn back to Isaiah chapter 9. I want to read a couple verses here. Again, all familiar verses. Those of you that have been in church for years, especially at Christmas time, many of these verses will be familiar to you. But hopefully we can maybe drop a nugget or two of something new. Isaiah 9, and I want to read beginning with verse 6. The reason I'm reading in Isaiah is because undoubtedly uh, these wise men had been reading some Old Testament scriptures. In order for them to have put together that this great star they saw in the sky that eventually God used in order to quicken something in their heart... To jump on whether it be horses or camels, or I guess if you believe the crash nativity scenes we have nowadays, they all rode camels into town. You do know that, may, that our crashes may not be the exact representation of what took place then. So maybe they were on a camel, maybe they were on horses. But they were quickened in their heart for some reason to follow that star that ultimately got them to the place Jesus was living And uh, a a, a scholarly guess is the fact that they had been reading the Scriptures because they were putting some things together. They were connecting some dots. And I personally believe that one of the portions of Scripture that they had to have been reading was this one in Isaiah chapter 9, beginning with verse 6. And we read, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. Now listen. And the government will be upon his shoulder. And his name will be called, and I'm, and I'm going to do a little etymological work here, okay? Because there's some commas. You know, translators, I, I wish I wish everybody, wouldn't it be great if we would have all been born in Hebrew or Aramaic culture and we could all read the original text and we wouldn't have to rely on translators? Because translators are always wanting to help us understand better. But I just want to help you understand better that there are times... Punctuation is put in because they think it helps, but sometimes it doesn't. And here in this particular instance in the Hebrew, this is how it reads. And it says, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor. Not no comma. Wonderful Counselor. Mighty God. Everlasting Father. Prince of Peace. These are the names that this this Messiah will be called. Verse 7. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. We'll stop there. We're talking about ruler or troubler, which one is He. Now, I have found preaching for almost 35 years now uh, through the Christmas season can be not only a blessing, and it is, but a lot of times it's frustrating because you have only so many passages of the Christmas account that can be taught from. And after doing this for 35 years, you say to yourself, What more can be said that hasn't already been said? Everybody knows the christmas story if I asked you to tell me the christmas story You could basically outline kind of the story and the things that happened and everyone knows it And so when we get to christmas A lot of times for me, it's like okay lord. I know it's probably good just to review the facts to review the incident But but every now and then it'd be good if we could get a new insight here if we could get some understanding this is a important pivotal event And uh, I don't want to miss any concept or nuance that may be here that can help me understand some things with regards to your master plan of sending Jesus into the earth. And so out of this particular passage that I read to you concerning the wise men, and and let me just say a couple of things which you may already know, uh, but these are things you can tuck away, that the reason... The reason oftentimes you see three wise men at the nativity scene isn't because we know that there were three wise men, it's because of the three gifts that are mentioned, the three categories, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So people have asked, they said, really, there were just three of them. We don't know, there could have been as many as nine of them, maybe 10 or 12 of them, we don't know. But it was categorized as three because of the gifts. It never says there were three wise men. And by the way, in the language, it never, doesn't say, you know, Sophos Anthropos, which is wise men. It, it says Magi. Magi. There were three Magi. Now, these Magi were obviously wise men. I was going to say wise guys, but that's probably not a good way to put it. They were wise men because they had sense enough to move to go worship the Christ child. But Magi again; these things you may know. We were just just reviewing sort of the scene. The Magi were were a caste of philosophers that came from Persia, probably, which would be the Iran Iraq area. And uh, they were a caste of philosophers, astrologers or astronomers. Uh, They would be those who were scientists that may study the stars and uh, they would read the, the ancient textbooks of different religions. We don't know that they were, they were Jews or they were, they were God followers or Yahweh followers with regards to the Jewish religion, but they had obviously read the Scriptures because here in this account they're able to put some things together. God was able to move on their heart, and they become sort of this notable, even intricate part of the story. And so when they see this astrological Phenomena take place of the star They know enough of the jewish prophecies that it that it's relating to a messiah And uh as we shall see uh, While they may not have been technically uh, A part of god's people They were indeed technically Far more o- obedient and expected than most expecting than most of god's people I mean all of jerusalem was abuzz But they weren't going to worship jesus they were troubled by jesus But here we have these Persian magi. They're wanting to go and worship the Christ child. And so they show up in Jerusalem. In fact, they show up in Jerusalem instead of the prophesied Bethlehem. Now, they'd read the Scriptures. We know that they had to have known the Scriptures. But they show up in Jerusalem, despite the fact that the Bible tells us that Jesus was to be born in Bethlehem in order to fulfill the Scripture of where that birth would take place. But they show up in Jerusalem. And so for me, I just kind of ask the question, why in the world would these scholars who obviously scanned the scriptures of that era carefully, how could they miss that part? How could they miss the prophecy concerning Bethlehem and instead show up in Jerusalem? Why Jerusalem? Why would they show up there? Well, the Magi made some first century assumptions that I think a lot of us make. Um, the kings in that time period are born into palaces. Would you not expect if a king was coming that he would be born in a palace? I don't believe that any of us here would believe that kings would be born in garages. Uh, nobody in the United Kingdom, for example, uh, Prince Harry or Prince Andrew, they were not born in garages, they were not born in alleys, they were born in palaces. And so they had an assumption, I would assume that kings come to palaces, and where would a palace be? Well, that would be in Jerusalem. That's where the action is found. If you want to find out where the action is, you always go to the nation's capital. You always go to where the palace is. That's where God's, that's where God's action is. And, and so they decided as they're going that they're stopping in Jerusalem because obviously God would move in the nation's capital. I just want to say this out loud. Wrong. It's good for us to remember that, that the action isn't in Washington, D.C. The action isn't in Columbia, South Carolina. The action isn't in the palaces of the notable, the noble, and the rich. Sometimes God's greatest actions are on the other side of the tracks. Sometimes God's greatest work is where you least expect it. One of my favorite quotations is from Tozier. And this is what Tozer said. I've committed it to memory. He said, God is hiding his heroes. And the day will come when they will arise and the world will wonder where they came from. That's exactly what God did with Jesus. He puts Jesus into Bethlehem because who would have expected that? Instead of Jerusalem. I think it's good for us to remember that our answers are not going to come from nations' capitals. Our answers are going to come from somewhere we least expect. Sometimes God uses those things that the world casts off, says it's nothing, it could never happen there. He just violates all our sense of logic and reason. I think God's up there sometimes and he just says, I'm just going to violate every common sense thing they could imagine. So they know when my will comes forth, in order for it to be as powerful as it is, it must be the Lord. And so that's exactly what happened. So they go to Jerusalem. They begin to seek out information concerning the Messiah, the Christ child. They're taught there that no, no, this, this isn't the place it's supposed to happen. It's supposed to happen in Bethlehem. But while they are there, the announcement of the birth of Christ the King troubles people. All of a sudden, Jesus is the troubler. I think that's really good for the 21st century American church to remember that. We're not here all the time to make everybody like us. Sometimes when we come announcing Jesus with the presence of Jesus, sometimes when we're declaring Jesus' word, it's good to remember that in nations, capitals, as well as any city, You start talking about Christ the King, why people will get troubled. Not everybody will say, oh, tell me the good news. No, 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 no. It will trouble them. Now, this trek that the Magi were on, it's an honest mistake. Uh, Don't be hard on them. Uh, Because if they were reading this Isaiah passage, let's say for example, they would have read here in verse 6, that the Messiah would be carrying the government upon his shoulders. Government. Government. You know, whenever we think of government, I don't know about you, my mind always assumes it's talking about civil government, don't we? If I were to talk about government, where would your mind go if I used that word? The, the, usually our mind goes to a Washington, D.C. or our mind goes to maybe Columbia, South Carolina. It goes to the political civic system, the government. So you can't... Be too hard on them if they read some of these words they were reading the word government and most of us I think would make that same assumption that it has something to do with civic government But I want to spend a moment here and begin to explain to you why jesus Why jesus is either going to be a ruler or he's going to be a troubler and you must answer this question yourself Which one will he be in my life? Will he be a ruler? Or will he be a troubler? because there is no in between. Let me let me take a moment and let me just define for a moment what what government means. A lot of people think they know it. Let's just define it. Government. The definition is this. A government is a system by which something is ruled or ordered. A system by which something is ruled or ordered. So anything that is ruled or that is ordered The system of it is called a government. The next one is it's the action or manner of regulating a nation, an organization, or people. It's the action or manner of regulating those things. Now, obviously, if we're talking about government, how many of you know that God's government might be best? Or, well, maybe we should even back up and ask ourselves, does God have a government? Or is government just left up to us? Well, Isaiah said that whatever the government is, it's going to be on his shoulders. Now, interestingly, the Bible speaks and the Bible teaches us of four kinds of government. Now, some will say there's three, but those folks are wrong. I'm telling you today, there are four. There are four kinds of government that the Bible speaks about. I just want to mention these briefly before we go on. And I'm going to mention them in the order of their priority, the priority of these governments as God lays it out in the Scripture. Now, we could spend a lot of time. There's multiple volume sets of books that you can read that teach this. I'm going to give this to you in about two minutes. All right? Isn't that good to know you can come to church and you can get a multi-volume set of information in two minutes? Praise God. Number one is this. These are the governments. Number one is self-government. Self-government. Now remember, what is it? It's the the system by which something is ruled or ordered. The first, most prioritized view of government, God says, is self-government, and that's the ability to rule yourself. It's interesting to me how the church, many in the church, especially in our circles, We'll teach the, the the gospel of dominion, and and we're to go out, and we're to rule, and we're to exercise dominion. And God has plans and purposes for us to run the earth, and we're all we're all just excited about all the things that we're going to exercise dominion over. And we can't exercise dominion over a fork or our eyes. That's the first government. Can you rule yourself? Don't talk about ruling anything else until you can rule yourself. That's what the Bible calls self-control. The word self-control is really self-government. It's the ability to restrain oneself or to regulate oneself. When the Bible speaks of times of moderation or discipline, all of these are words of self-government. Government doesn't start in the nation's capital, it starts in our own heart. Congress cannot pass enough laws to keep us from killing ourselves. That's the problem right now. We think think all of our problems are rooted in that we don't have enough laws on the books. We could pass a thousand more laws and it won't solve anything unless first we learn how to rule ourselves. This is where government starts. And here's the key by what standard or by what system or by or by what by what legislation shall I be ruled? Well, here's the answer. Jesus is Lord. He rules. So I rule myself under the lordship of Christ who has given me precepts and principles and his Holy Spirit and everything I need in order to rule effectively. Because if I don't allow... See, the government, listen, the government will be upon his shoulders. Jesus upholds all government. And if Jesus isn't upholding you as a person... If he's not upholding your life, if he's not Lord, if he's not in charge, if he's not calling the shots, if if, if he's not the king, I'm here to tell you, your life will collapse, just like earthly governments will collapse, your life will collapse, because you can only rule under his kingship, for he is the king of kings. Yeah, you're a king, all right, Or, or ladies, forgive me, I'm speaking in the masculine, Or you're a queen, it's true. You're a king's kid, but he's the king of kings. That's the first government, self-government. The second form is family government. Of course, family government starts when one is married. There is a government that is instituted when one is married. Male, female, we believe that marriage is between one man and one woman for one lifetime out of that union kids usually come there's government there's a system there's an order that begins to take place there's an authority that happens decisions have to be made in that government and god has a way that these things should work in that family government there's protection there's resourcing there's funding god has a pattern for success so priority 1 is can i can i rule myself Priority two is that I have a family. And in this family, this is where we find God's order. And hear me when I say this, that now Jesus will uphold that government as well. Because if Jesus isn't Lord in the family, how many of you know there's going to be strife and confusion and chaos and anarchy and double-mindedness? And I could go down the list because Jesus isn't—he—he he doesn't share his kingship. He's Lord of all family government now you see we haven't even got to civic government yet have we number three is what i would call spiritual or church government that there has to be a way of gathering god's people it's interesting that the greek word for church is the word ekklesia or ecclesia. you'll sometimes hear it pronounced that way ek meaning out ecclesia coming from the greek word kaleo which means to call And so literally ecclesia means the called out ones. It was literally used in that era signifying the assembling of of really uh, rulers in the government. And, And it was really kind of a political term of an assembling of people in order to make important decisions in the life of the corporate body. And so there's a government that takes place even within the church. The gathering of God's people. How do we move as a people? You do realize that there are things that you will only receive, there are promises that you will only get when you move with a people. Not just you as an individual. This is the problem with American Christianity. We have taken American Christianity and so individualized it that we don't think we need anybody anymore. We don't need to link up. We don't need to be in covenant. We don't need to gather. I can just sit in my bed in my house and turn on my television or my YouTube and hear somebody teach me, and I don't have to be with anybody anytime anymore. It's just me and Jesus, and that is not the gospel. If you think that's the gospel, you haven't read your Bible. Go read the children of Israel. They couldn't get to the promised land until everybody got on the same page and their promises were for either all of them or none of them. That I tell you, the the exodus and the entrance into the promised land really bothers me because what it says is, it says that even though there were two people who were ready to go in, the rest of them didn't want to go in. The two people didn't get to go in because of the knuckleheads who weren't going to go in. You know why that bothers me? It's because I know there are some things that I will never receive because of the linkage in other people who are bound by whatever fear or anxiety or whatever it may be. And I'm telling you, that's why it's the city church. The reason the church has not conquered cities is because we refuse to get together. Amen? Amen? There are some things that will never happen in Charleston until the church decides it cannot do it alone. No one church can do it. No one person can do it. It will never happen. And and we will forever be frustrated or preach promises that have no ability to come to pass because we refuse to link with our brother for whatever reason. That's government. Government is how is that ordered? What does that look like? And it's going to be a question that has to be answered, even for the city church. What does that look like? How does this run? How do we get on the same page? Government will be a big question. Then finally, number four, we finally get to civic government. God does indeed want nations to run under his lordship. He wants cities to run under his lordship. Listen to me when I say this. Jesus upholds all government when if if America finally now there there are sounds of hope these days and again I'm not I'm not this is this is not meant to be a political message but now that I'm in civic government I guess it will have those overtones whether you like our president or not like our president and I could go through every president we've ever had you may like him or you may dislike him but here's the deal Jesus upholds all government. And the minute we turn our back on Jesus is the minute that nation begins to collapse. There's no such thing as neutral. That's what Jesus, Jesus, I didn't make this up. Jesus said, you're either for me or against me. I'm not the, I'm not the first one who said that. Jesus was. Hear me when I say this, nations are not neutral. Every nation will either honor God or dishonor God, and the nation that dishonors God will eventually find itself on the ash heap of fallen nations like Rome and Greece, and I could go down the list of fallen nations. You don't see Macedonia anymore, do you? You don't see Babylon anymore, do you? You don't see Persia anymore, do you? I'm here to tell you, you won't see America here in a few years unless we learn that we got to honor God as a people. These are governments. Now, the radical notion... And I'm going to get back to our wise men here. But the radical notion is that most people, most Christian people agree that Jesus is Lord of all. We use this phrase a lot. Is Jesus Lord of all? Well, yeah, yeah, praise God. Hallelujah. Jesus is Lord of all. But what that means is that he has a say and he has a plan and he has a template and a pattern for every category of government. You're not going to seal him off. You can't put him in your little box. Just like you can't put him in a little box in your heart and say to yourself, Well, Jesus, you can be Lord, you can be Lord of A, B, and C, but I'm gonna keep D, E, and F. Or, or, or you can be Lord on Sunday, but Monday through Saturday, you're not gonna be Lord. You can't do that. That's called compartmentalization. And 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 that's not even scriptural. He's either Lord of all or he's Lord of nothing. He gets it all. He created you. He saved you, and now he's going to run you. Yes, you're going to run your decisions by him. Yes, you're going to read his word. You're going to be disciplined and discipled. You're going to find out what it means to walk as a believer. And all these things aren't suggestions. They're actually commands. This is the radical notion of the gospel. But here's the good news. The good news is that if you'll give it to the creator, it's better than you could ever imagine. He will do exceedingly abundantly above all that you could ask or think. He has the blessing of God will not only come upon you. The Bible says it will overtake you. You would think people would be tripping over themselves to give their lives to a Lord who says, if you'll let me be in charge, I will make it unbelievably great for you. Does it mean that you'll get to spring out of every challenge? No, but I'll be there with you. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I will walk with you. You will prevail. You will triumph. You will conquer. You would think people would be tripping over themselves with this good news. But instead of letting him be ruler, they are troubled. Oh, Jesus. Jesus, he's going to cramp me. He ain't gonna, he, you mean he isn't going to let me do what I want to do? No, not all the time. And so you have to ask yourself, is he, is he a ruler or will he be a troubler? What is it? You know, Bishop Fred said something a few weeks ago. He's been he's been teaching us, and my mind spins when he gets up here and shares because I'm just I'm hearing the voice of the Lord. But he said something, and if I if I missay it, then you can correct me on a on another occasion, I guess. But I guess you get one you get one shout out. I guess I shouted out to you one time, so you get you you get a shout out, a free shout out. I think it was something to the effect. That there is no government, I'm I'm trying to quote, there is no government except through the city church. Now I don't know all that you may have meant at the time because you didn't elaborate on it at the time. So there might be much yet to say on that and I would be interested in, in hearing more of that. But just as he said it, it resonated true with me. Because there's an incredible revelation in that. That tells me that there are some things that can never ever happen outside of God's people moving together in this city church expression. There are some promises that God has for me. My my reluctance to unite with other people who are my brothers and sisters isn't doing anything to help me or harm them. It's restricting me in what God may want to do to bring blessing my way. Do you understand? There were 12 tribes that had to get into the promised land. It wasn't one tribe saying, let's not tell the tribe of Gad we're going in today. Zebulun's out to lunch. Let's sneak in without him. That's not how it worked. Either all went in under a form of government, an order, a system, a way, a precept, where nobody gets it. I have found in the Scripture that government really is synonymous with the kingdom. Those words are almost, almost, not exactly, but they're almost synonymous. Government and kingdom. Kingdom is really a a word that's been uh, uh, crunched together, which came from the king's dominion kingdom 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 is not geography per se kingdom is not dirt and soil kingdom is not an organization now hear me the kingdom interestingly the kingdom can manifest itself in all of those things in other words you know the 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 kingdom existed at one time in Jerusalem and they had walls around Jerusalem and and it was a place that you could point to and say the kingdom of God is, is manifesting or functioning there but hear me the kingdom of God, while it manifested in that region, that region in and of itself was not the kingdom. The kingdom is a sphere. It's a domain of God's rule. Wherever God rules, there His kingdom exists. So if God rules in my heart, where's the kingdom? In my heart. That's what the Bible says. It says that the, the kingdom is inside of you. If if. God's rule is manifested in my home, in my marriage, in my family, and in my house. Where is the kingdom? Then, the, then the, kingdom, the kingdom exists there. And the question always is, at what point does the kingdom stop? And I'll give you the answer. There is no point that the kingdom stops. The kingdom keeps growing and manifesting. What it said here in verse 7 is that his kingdom, his government and peace, there will be what? No end. There is no boundary. All four areas of government are commanded to express the kingdom of God. Jesus is the King of kings. The Bible says in the Revelation, interestingly enough, that there's coming a day where it is announced that the kingdoms of this world have become what? The kingdom of our Lord and Christ. Do you understand? Everything around us is slowly diminishing... And what will replace it? Here's the good news. What's going to replace it is the government of God. The kingdom of God. And so Jesus taught us. He said, you know what you can do? You can begin to pray in this regard. How do we pray? We pray, thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. Where? As it is in. Absolutely. Because he's not a theoretical king. He's not a figurehead king. Jesus isn't this king that we simply put you know on display every now and then and he rides around with his kingly wave. And he's just this figurehead king. Jesus is not a figurehead king. He's a real live ruler. He's a sovereign lord. He's intervening in the lives of men. He's intervening in families. He's intervening in churches. He's intervening in nations. Jesus is the king. That ought to get you excited. I'm connected to the guy who's in charge. We're praying for God's rule to come. But here's the deal. Is that good news? Or is that troubling? It troubled Herod and it troubled all of Jerusalem. People people who are troubled usually just don't understand some things. I, I put some things on the board, Chris, the theocracy. Put the put the list up there. I, I, people don't understand certain words. I want to go through this quickly. I, I figure if I have you for just a few minutes uh, once a week that I can put some things in you that are really going to help you, especially as you interact, because I know some of you work with and you are friends with and you, you have uh, unsafe friends and family members and loved ones, and I'm glad you have those relationships and you're working on them and trying to be a witness to them and you're getting hammered at times over things and not exactly sure how that Relates and what 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 we should say, but I want to just share a couple things with you because this whole government area has just fascinated me And again government isn't isn't this this disconnected thing that happens in washington dc Government is how you're going to make a decision for your life in order for you to see the blessing of god roll into your life That's that's all about government Now there are some words that we throw around and i'm going to define these words real quick But bear with me for just a minute You always hear the word theocracy. The word theocracy simply means God rules. Now, theocracy for many people sounds like a dirty word. They say to themselves, especially when you talk about civic government, we don't want a theocracy. Okay. You don't want God to rule. No, what most people, I think, are meaning by that is the word ecclesiocracy. Ecclesiocracy means church rule. Now, here I'm here to tell you, I don't want one church ruling things. I don't want churches mess things up. If you, never don't, if you don't know that, I'll let you in. I'll let you behind the veil. Churches can mess things up. No, I don't want the Baptist ruling. I don't want the Episcopalians ruling. For God's sake, I don't want the Charismatics ruling. We're not talking about church rule. Some people talk about democracy where majority rules. How many of you realize that if the majority is fallen and sinful, you know what you get? You get San Francisco. Everybody wants democracy. Well, I'm all for democracy. I guess there's a place that you could say that, but you know, honestly, I don't want democracy unless I'm really sure that that the majority Their heart's right. Otherwise, what's going to happen is they're going to put the crosshairs on the righteous and uh, the godly. And you're going to find out that when majority rules, it can be real tough on righteous people. There's oligarchy. Oligarchy is when the elite rule. People get frustrated because oftentimes they'll say things like, you know, the Supreme Court is making law rather than, you know, deciding. And that's that's oligarchy where just a few people, you know, maybe nine people are making a decision. The elite, those that have the money or those that have the education or those that have the position, they get to make the rules. And finally, monarchy. Monarchy is obviously a person rules, most often a king. Now again, I'm not here to teach you all the intricacies of government, but I am here to say this to you, that given a choice, I want want to see God rule. Who should rule in my life? I want God to rule in my life. I'm all for theocracy in my life. How about you? I want a theocracy in my life. I want a theocracy in my home. If you're a business owner, I would assume you would want a theocracy. You would want God to rule that business. Now, I understand his rulership gets conduited through people, so I get that. But ultimately, you would want God to rule. So I don't back away when people look at me in all those four forms of government and I say to them, do you want America to be a Christian nation and honor God and have Him rule? My answer is absolutely yes. Yes. For the nation that honors God will be blessed by the Lord. The Bible says when the righteous rule, the people rejoice. But when the wicked rule, the people groan. And there's a whole lot of groaning going on. But we've, we've, we've been so concerned that if we start declaring Christ's kingship, people get troubled. And we don't want to trouble the earth. Oh, we don't want to trouble the city. We don't want to trouble people. No, no, we want to relate to them. We want to be one of them. We, we want to be able to say, man, I get it. I'm where you're at. Listen. Listen, I can relate to people in as much as I may have been there at one time in my life, but here's what the church's role is, is to look people in the eye and say, I get where you're at, I'm really sorry for where you're at, and we're compassionate for where you're at. But the good news is, is that if you would let go and let Jesus be king, he would get you out of where you're at. But people get troubled. Oh. That means he may, he may ask me to do something I don't want to do. Well, he might. He might. That's, that's the deal. The, de- the deal is you don't get to sign a paper and, and add caveats in it. You don't get, you get to, no exceptions, contingencies. I'll sign a contract, but I'm going to write a few contingencies here. Nuh-uh. Jesus says, well, then you, you go do life. When you're, when you're, ready, when you're ready for lordship, I'm ready to to help in that regard. I want to give you three things real quick to know about Christ's rule. Three quick things. I'll probably be done early today and everybody can say amen. Three things. Number one is this, the foundation of his government. Listen, no matter which one we're talking about, the Bible says that Christ upholds all governments. So if he's not upholding Your life if he's not upholding your family if he's not upholding the church if he's not upholding our nation It's going to collapse That's the foundation The foundation is jesus upholds the government will be upon his shoulders Anything that's established has to be established upon him Anything that walks away from him will fail it will fall And this is the part that America, well, America as a nation, states almost without fail, and and individuals, all of us, we're walking away from his lordship, his kingship. I just, I go there, even churches are. Churches, Churches won't preach the whole counsel of God. And because they won't preach the whole counsel of God, but they'll only preach the dessert stuff or the fun stuff or the neat stuff, or the inspiring stuff, if they won't get down to some of these other precepts, he's not upholding it, because how many of you know that in his kingdom, every precept's important? That's the foundation. Number two, the attributes of his government. Now, this is, I think this is a good news thing, because it says that the attributes are that he is a wonderful counselor. That means that he has wisdom, amazing wisdom, far beyond earthly wisdom. It it means miraculous wisdom. It means supernatural wisdom. It says that that the attribute is that he's mighty God, he's powerful. How many of you know Christ is powerful? Right now, if we have nuclear weapons from North Korea pointed at us here in America, I want to know that I'm covered by the Almighty. And that I'm not subject to some madmen halfway around the globe. And the reason we're going to have a major nuclear fallout is because we have walked away. So I'm praying, I'm praying, Lord, send awakening, send revival, cause this nation to again get on its knees and cry out to God. Because I'm here to tell you, Psalm. we need Psalm 91 like we've never needed it before. It says that He's everlasting Father. Security. Stability. All the concepts of fatherhood being there. The prince of peace, he's he's the author of all peace. And I've often said that you never know how important things like peace is until you lose it. Nobody ever thinks about those lovely intangibles, I call them, like, like hope and peace and joy. Everybody feels like they can negotiate away these intangible things that's not that important until you lose them. And then once you lose them, they're invaluable how much would you pay for peace how much would you pay for hope how much would you pay for joy when there doesn't seem to be enough money to buy it anymore these are the attributes of his government and he says that upon this government there will be justice and righteousness golly there's so many things we could talk about with regards to justice and righteousness but these are his attributes we're living in a time period where we're calling good evil and evil good. There's no justice. I'm just, I'm watching, I'm, I'm watching the very fabric of people's lives and a culture unravel because we will not embrace the notion that he is king, he is ruler. Instead, we see him as a troubler. Oh, If you put Jesus in a public school, it causes nothing but trouble. We can't, we can't pray at football games anymore. It just causes trouble. We can't pray at city council, county council meetings. He's the troubler. Lord, we can't do anything anymore. You can't go on the street and hand things out because it's just troubles. Oh, there's somebody over in a corner. Oh, yeah, yeah, it's that atheist over in the corner. There's only one of him, but he's troubled, so let's just shut down the whole deal. Is he a troubler or is he a ruler? And then finally, number three, and we'll wrap it here. The scope of his government. Listen to this the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. This is the good news. It's it's what I come back to. You may not like him, but you can't stop him. (laughs) You may put everything up, take him to court. The Supreme Court can send its rulings. Everybody in this world can do whatever it wants to do to think it can stop the gospel, and I'm here to tell you that try to stop it, and it'll grow even more. They've tried to oppress it in China, and it's caused an awakening. They tell me there's an underground church right now in North Korea that would boggle the mind. You can't snuff out Christ and the gospel. That's just an anointing. His reign is winning. His reign is broadening. Sometimes it doesn't feel that way, but I'm here to tell you the scope of his government is ever increasing. And I'm involved in that ever increasing. Doesn't matter how it looks, it only matters what his word says. Now some people and some cities and some nations will try to dodge it. But here's the deal. You, you, you'll eventually come to the crossroad of that question. Will he be my ruler? And if not, he will be my troubler. Can I give you advice today? Don't let him be your troubler. Herod's greatest mistake was thinking he could snuff it out, snuff him out. Jerusalem's greatest mistake was thinking it didn't have to come to terms with him. Hear me when I tell you this. Read read the Bible understand history herod didn't last forever jesus has jerusalem has gone through incredible upheaval let me tell you his rulership has been forever established and manifested forever listen i'm i'm hooked up with him i'm walking with him i'm in with him this is good news I don't make that great of decisions. I'm, I'm looking to you to help me make decisions, to help me rule my life, to rule my house. Lord, I'm doing my best to announce to a broken church and to a broken culture that Jesus needs to rule again there too. And I want to encourage you in this Christmas time to let him be a ruler. Don't let him be your trouble. Let him be a ruler. Would you stand with me?